Well, thank you so much and great to see you, especially if this is your first time at a Kingsgate service. Why don't we join together? Let's welcome our Kingsgate family from Kingsgate, Cambridge, Leicester and anybody watching uh, in their homes from the UK and around the world. Well, here we are on this special celebration as a doubly special uh, celebration. We're celebrating the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, but it's also the day of Pentecost. So let's talk about the Queen first. What a remarkable life. I mean, firstly, what incredible longevity. She was born in 1926. She came to the throne in 1952 and was actually crowned in 1953. She's been served by uh, 14 UK Prime Ministers, wow, <laughs> um, met with 13 sitting US presidents, sat for over 129 portraits. I mean, I'd need patience just to sit for one. Anyone else? 129 portraits. And she's visited 120 countries on six continents. I mean, it sounds utterly exhausting, doesn't it? Um, but I think what's more remarkable, even than her longevity, is the legacy she leaves. You see, she is somebody who has stayed the course for a reign of 70 years. When, you know, rulers and politicians and leaders throughout history and today seem to struggle to keep integrity when they have power for even a few short years, she is somebody universally recognized, somebody who's kept the course, stayed steady, kept her integrity intact for 70 years. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And we've got to recognize the changes that she will have experienced. I mean, right back from the 20s through to today. I mean, what incredible geopolitical change, cultural, moral, social, technological change. Plus, she's not had a perfect life. She's had storms that have come out of her life. She's had much personal and family heartache and even tragedy and much of that of course unlike us when we go through stuff is played in front of the glare of the world's media and so it's all remarkable that you can have political commentators like Andrew Marr making this statement there are no reliable recorded incidents of the queen losing her temper using bad language or refusing to carry out a duty expected of her wow no wonder she's respected by people of different nations, faiths, and backgrounds, even by many who don't actually like the institution of monarchy. Um, a friend of mine this week commented, he said, I'm not a royalist, but I love the Queen. So why don't we just take a moment to honour this amazing lady. Let's thank her. Thank God for her. We do really thank God for her. But as well as celebrating this remarkable life, I actually want to take the rest of the time to look at what lessons, if any, can we learn for our lives? You see, those of you who've been around Kingsgate will know that we're in the middle of a sermon series entitled Living Your Best Life. And it's got a question mark. In other words, are you, am I, are we living our best life? And I believe there's much that we can learn from this remarkable uh, woman now at 96 uh, years old. And I'm going to be quoting and sharing pictures from uh, this new book that's been written called Our Faithful Queen, 70 Years of Faith and Service. 70 Years of Faith and Service. And I want to pick up on those two key words, a life of faith 
and a life of service. And I believe that characterises so much of what we love and uh, admire about the Queen. But also I think there's things that you and I can learn as we look ahead to the rest of our lives and think about the legacy we want to leave too. So firstly, like the Queen, I believe we're going to live our best life now. We are all called to live a life of faith in the message of Jesus. Now, for most of my life, um, including when I was very young, I spent most Christmas afternoons watching the Queen's speech. Now, when I was young, it was a trial because it delayed present opening till at least about half past three. Uh, but <laughs> in later years, I've just come to appreciate and actually look forward to what she's going to say. Uh, now, every speech has a different flavour. There's different global events, maybe personal reflections, people she wants to honour and celebrate. But there's one common theme that runs through almost, I would say, virtually every Queen's speech, certainly every one that I've heard, is she turns the focus back, not just to the central character of the Christmas story, but to the most important person in our life, Jesus Christ. Time and time again, like a person in love who, as it were, manoeuvres the conversation always around to talk about their beloved. It's like the Queen unquestionably has a deep personal love and faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, just one quote of many. Um, she says this, God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, but a saviour with the power to forgive. Forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian faith. It can heal broken families, it can restore friendships, it can reconcile divided communities. It's in forgiveness that we feel the power of God's love. This is not a nominal uh, Christian, right? This is somebody who knows Jesus Christ, somebody who feels the power of God because of the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. And I believe this personal faith, it's like one of these kind of, you, you often don't see it, it pops out in speeches. It's one of these like uh, foundational issues. It means that during the storms that have, as it were, come against her life and against the world, she stayed steady because she's basing her life on the rock, the only true rock, who is a person, Jesus Christ. Amen? He is the sure foundation, not just for her life, but also for our lives too. I, I love this quote from, uh, from the Queen in 2002. She says, I draw strength from the message of hope in the Christian gospel. <laughs> I'm not as old as the Queen. I've not known Jesus as long as she had, has. But I can honestly say, that's my testimony too. On a daily basis, sometimes an hourly basis, year by year, season by season, I draw strength from the message of hope in the Christian gospel. Anyone else too? It's our foundation, knowing Jesus, faith and our hope in him. So the question is, where do we find this message? Well, during her coronation service, the Queen was presented with many incredible kind of uh, symbols of monarchy, most of them encrusted with jewels, including one of the world's most valuable diamonds, scepter, crown. I mean, you'd agree, pretty kind of priceless things, is that right? But then, actually, the first thing she was given in the coronation service was not the scepter, the crown. The first thing she was given was this Bible. 
And the person presenting it to her said this, this is the most valuable thing this world affords. So scepters, crowns, priceless diamonds, all the treasures, what is it, you know, fill in the blanks, what is it you think would make your life better, would change your life, winning the lottery, all the wealth and fame, according to the coronation service, the most valuable thing that you and I can possess is a Bible. A Bible. And for the Queen, it's clear, she wasn't somebody who was just given a Bible, and then let dust accumulate on it for many years. No, she is somebody, apparently, who not only grew up knowing the stories of the Bible, but she's somebody who, health permitting, is absolutely diligent in going to church weekly, and she has a well-read Bible beside her bed. Now, she's somebody who loves this most valuable thing in the world. But even more than that, you see, why is the Bible so precious? Because the Bible reveals to us, as it were, the written word reveals to us Jesus, the living word. It reveals to us who God is, what's he like, what's his plan for our lives. Most fundamentally, how can we be put right with God? How can we be forgiven? How can we be born again? How can we have eternal life? All of that's in the Bible, of course. But even more than that, through the, not just the message about Jesus, but the message from Jesus in the Bible, we actually see the teachings of Jesus that if we will follow his teachings and put them into practice in our lives, it will give us this security, this foundation that clearly the Queen enjoys. I mean, here's a couple of quotes. I love this. Billions of people now follow Jesus' teaching and find in him the guiding light for their lives. This is the Queen. I am one of them. Isn't that stunning? I love this. Jesus is the guiding light, not just a theory, not just a philosophy, not just some kind of religious figure. No, no, her guiding light. And then she goes on in another place. The teachings of Jesus have served as my inner light. So wherever we're at today, you may not yet be a Christian. You may not own a Bible. We'd love to give you one after the service. Or you may be somebody who's a follower of Jesus, but be honest, would you say that the teachings of Jesus and the person of Jesus are like your guiding light, like your inner light? In other words, you get direction in daily decisions and choices and the way you live your life and build your life. Could, you, could that be said of you? Could that be said of me? I believe that's an amazing challenge. If we want to build a life of faith where the only secure foundation is Jesus and his message. Now, as many of you know, during this series, we've been focusing on the Sermon on the Mount as the basis of our text for this series on living your best life. And the Sermon on the Mount, of course, is the most influential and in many ways the most important body of Jesus' teaching in one place, Matthew 5 to 7. It's just changed the course of history in many people's lives. And so we've been looking at that teaching. I'm looking forward to closing out the series in a few weeks' time. At the end of Matthew 7, having laid out all kinds of ways that we can live distinctive lives, secure lives, lives of wisdom, being followers of Jesus, Jesus wraps up the whole sermon by giving a picture, uh, almost like an image. I remember even at Sunday school learning about two guys, two men, who 
built their house on different foundations. So they're both building a house and both the houses get hit by rain and by winds and, um, and by a storm. One house, this thing about foundations, you often can't see what's underneath. One house was built on rock. The other house was built on the sand. Do you know the story? It's very simple, very powerful summary to the whole sermon. And the punchline is this. This is how Jesus describes the man, or we could say the woman, the person building their life on the rock. This is what the rock means. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and here's the punchline, and puts them into practice. Can we say that? Puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down. The streams rose and the winds blew <clears throat> and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. What is the rock? The rock is Jesus. Yes, we've already established that. The rock, as it were, we can find out about the rock in the Bible, but just hearing the, the words of the Bible, reading them, even listening to me preaching, <laughs> is not the rock. The rock is when we read the Bible, hear the message of the Bible, and actually act on the Bible. That is the difference between the life built on the foundation of rock and the life built on the foundation of sand. If you read on, and we'll look at it in a few weeks' time, the guy who builds his life on the sand, here's the, here's the words of Jesus. So by implication, is somebody already is trying to follow Jesus. They hear the words, but they don't act on it. And as a result, it's like their foundations are, are insecure. And so when the storms of life hit, they've got no firm foundation and their house collapses. Now, how many of you, it's a simple choice. <laughs> Not multiple choice, <laughs> two choices. Do you want to build your life on the rock or on the sand? I mean, it's not, it's not, a, not a hard question. Jesus is trying to make it super simple. So what about you? As I look at the life of the queen and more particularly and the way she follows the life of Jesus, the way she's not just a nominal Christian and a practicing Christian, I want to say, I want to determine afresh. I want to build my life on the rock of Jesus Christ and I want to be a doer of the word of God and not just a hearer. Amen. And that's true wherever we're at on the journey of faith. That's the first thing. Like the queen, let's build a life of faith based on and built on the message of Jesus. But secondly... And this is, as it were, the more visible part of her life, the above ground, if you like. This is the thing that I think most people comment on. And if you've been watching the commentaries over the last few days, this is the thing that everybody agrees on. What's remarkable about the Queen is that she lives, has lived and still is living, amazingly, <laughs> with all her frailties, an incredible life of service. And as I'll pick up in a minute by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's just pause for a moment and let's just reflect on a life of service. There's no question that this is, if you like, the hallmark of the Queen's life. It goes right back to the speech she made when she was 21 that almost like was a, a, a sort of a, a declaration of intent. 21st birthday, this is the summary statement. You've probably heard it many times. I declare to you, she says to, to, to her people, that my whole life whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. 
Now, <laughs> I don't know about you, uh, but you know, often when we're you know, young people, and I, I love the idealism of young people today, <laughs> wanting to change the world, wanting to make a difference. But it's one thing, isn't it, to make a speech as, as a teenager or as a young adult. It's another seven plus decades on to actually live it. What we've got to say about the Queen is she fulfilled on her declaration. <laughs> She's lived it out. That's why she has, is so widely admired by such a diverse group of people. So this leads us, uh, us to a question. Is this dedication to service not just living for her own um, interest, which of course many people uh, do today, and we all have a natural tendency to rot. Have you noticed that? You have a tendency to rot, which is selfishness. It's just me then, okay, me and two others. No, we all have that, don't we? But actually, if we just live for ourselves, we're living way below the reason that we're on planet Earth. You are not just called to survive in life. You weren't even just called to live for, as it were, your success and your fulfillment. No, you and I have a higher calling than that. God wants you and I to live lives of significance in the service of other people, to make a difference to people around us. Amen? It's the best way to live. And it's not just for a public servant like the Queen. She's got her assignment as a Queen. She's got her sphere the, the people, should, but you and I have an assignment. God has given you unique gifts. He's made you who you are. And he doesn't want you to drift through life. He doesn't want you to meander through life and waste the one precious life he's given you. He's entrusted you with who you are, with your gifts, your time, your talents and your treasure. And he says, yes, I wanna bless you, but I wanna make you a blessing to many other people. Will you embrace the call on your life? Amen. And then you have a sphere. Don't wait to somehow become famous. Most of us never will be. But we have family, we have friends, we have neighbours, we have work colleagues, we have people in our communities. Let's get on and do little things well. Let's be faithful where we are and let's make a difference, friends. Amen. So, first question. Is a life of service just for the queen? No, it's for all of us. Second question is, how on earth do you sustain it? <laughs> is it just a sort of, you know, inbuilt something of sort of the, the, the courage and the sense of duty that may have come from her dad or whatever? Well, I'm sure that's part of it. But if you go behind the scenes, if you go back to the very coronation service, I believe there's, there's a, a wonderful, as it were, hidden clue as to how the Queen has managed to live her life of service and how you and I can too. And it relates to both the day of Pentecost, uh, Pentecost Sunday that we're celebrating too, but also to the most special and sacred part of the coronation service. You see, the heart of the coronation is a hidden ceremony. It was screened away from the, t the cameras, so it, it was never on TV. It's viewed from under a canopy, and the queen has to take off her regal clothes, and she, en she ended up just wearing a simple white dress. Why? She's symbolizing she's not coming as somebody, as it were, inheriting royalty. She's coming as an ordinary person, just like you and I. An ordinary Christ Christian, just wearing, as it were, plain white uh, dress. 
And then something happens that I believe is critical, not just for her, but also for us too, if we understand the significance. At this moment, the archbishop came and he anointed her with oil. He placed oil on her head, on her chest, and on her hands. Now, now what's this? Some religious dude putting oil on our queen. What's going on there? It's actually deeply significant and rooted in the Bible. This is where the whole thing comes from. And the, in the Old Testament, you see there that the anointing is symbolic of the power and the enabling of the Holy Spirit coming upon a person. They're set aside for service and they receive God's enabling to do what God has called them to do. Uh, in the, the Queen's uh, devotions that were sort of written for her to prepare her for a co coronation, uh, we read this. By the anointing, I love this, God makes, blesses and consecrates me Queen. And I am till my dying day... His, that's God's, that's Jesus, anointed servant. In the anointing, God creates a new relationship between himself and me, giving me for my use in this office just those resources of his divine grace which I need to dispose, hands and heart and mind to do his will. In other words, she knew something was going to change when she received the anointing. You won't see that probably on BBC One this afternoon. But on the day of Pentecost, this is incredibly powerful. You see, because the roots of this go back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were certain special people who were given particular responsibilities. You have priests, they were anointed. Prophets, they were anointed. Kings, rulers, they were anointed. And so this coronation service goes right back to there and says she is being set aside and empowered for a life of service. But then fast forward into the New Testament and we see Jesus Christ, the word there, that's not his surname. It means literally the Christ means the anointed one. And so here we have Jesus. He is the great high priest. He is the great prophet. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And at his baptism, Jesus, who up until that time had done no miracles, never preached a sermon, if you could say, not stepped into his ministry. At his baptism, he receives the power of the Holy Spirit. From that moment on, he goes and he fulfills his assignment. I love the way Peter summarized it. Acts 10, 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went around doing good and healing. Why? Because God was with him. Now, there's a sense in which God would have been with him during his childhood, his teens, his 20s. No, but in a different way, in a special way now, God is on his life and with him, empowering him. Now, here's the thing. If Jesus Christ himself needed the Holy Spirit and the power, if you like, the anointing to carry out his ministry, how much do you think you and I do in the calling that God has for us? This is not a luxury. This is an absolute necessity. But it gets even better than that because Jesus dies, he rises from the dead and before he goes to ascend to the Father, he makes this promise to the disciples and it's also a promise for all his followers. He says, you're gonna carry out your mission, your ministry. 
You're going to continue my life of service. But in order to do this, you will receive power. That's the anointing. When the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is not about somebody becoming a Christian, that Spirit comes in. This is about the power of the Holy Spirit resting on the followers of Jesus like the Spirit rested on kings, prophets, priests, on Jesus himself. And then on the day of Pentecost, Jewish feast of Pentecost, there's 120 of Jesus' followers and they're waiting, they're praying for the receipt of that promise. When suddenly, say suddenly, A blowing like the sound of a violent wind came in and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues of fire came and rested on each of them. And then in Acts 2, 4, it says, all of them, say all of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Every single one was anointed. Now that's good news because later on, uh, just a a short while after, Peter gets up, the Apostle Peter, he preaches a sermon and he explains to the surrounding crowd who'd gathered for the feast what's going on because they see these people uh, filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues, in in, uh, speaking known languages. And these followers are looking on, say, what's going on? And Peter quotes from uh, the prophet Joel, and he basically says, this is what's going on. This is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. We're now coming into a new day and a new era when the Spirit doesn't just rest on special people. He comes to rest on every one of God's followers. Hence, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. And then he goes on to talk about your sons and daughters, young and old, men and women, without exception, the Holy Spirit is available for you, it's available for me, it's available for the person next to you, it's available for your family and your friends. Every single, God wants to pour out His Spirit on every single person. First, we need to become a Christian and then we need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God wants you and I to fulfill our calling, to make a difference. And the only way we can is by the power and the person and the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. Let let me give you a simple illustration. I am speaking to you with my natural voice. I'm not shouting, I don't think. (laughs) Getting a bit enthusiastic, but... But the reason you can hear me, hopefully loud and clear, is because my voice is being amplified. You see, when God created you, he gave you certain natural gifts, natural talents. He, He made you who you are. Sure, sin can mess it up, but through Jesus, he restores things. Amen. But then he wants to fill us with the Spirit, as it were, to amplify who we are. Becoming spirit-filled doesn't mean you become somehow odd. You become the the man or the woman that God designed you to become. You become fully the human being God created you, but clothed with a different power and energy and wisdom and capacity that is not possible without the Holy Spirit. As the Queen's book summarised, I love this quote, God's anointing makes the difference between an ordinary human life and a life empowered by God. I don't know about you, I don't want to live an ordinary human life. Sounds really dull, doesn't it? And exhausting because it's all from our own resources. Or we can live a life empowered by God. 
So here we are celebrating a remarkable woman's life. 70 years of faithful faith and service. But I want us to imagine for a minute. Imagine all of us here, by God's grace, we live long and we grow really old. Let's say we all live in late 80s or 90s. I don't know about you, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to living a long life well. But let's say we do. Look ahead, wherever you are. If you're in your 20s, that's a long way to go. Some of us, it's a bit less time. <laughs> and here we are, we are quoting from referring to a book written about this amazing woman's life. Not just because she's queen, but because she has lived a life of great integrity and leaving a great legacy. And of course, many other books have been written too. Imagine if somebody then, and you're in your mid-90s or whatever, and somebody comes and they says, I want to write a biography of this maybe less high-profile servant of God, but I'd like to <laughs> write a book about you. And they're searching for a title and maybe a subtitle, a phrase that would summarize who you've become. What would you like those words to be? I don't know about you, I, I, could, I could think, I could go, I'd do a lot worse than Faithful Dave, 70 years of faith and service. Anyone think that, that's, that'd be pretty good? And it'd be unique to who we are. But the thing is, you see, and the challenge, and I just felt so strongly as I was preparing for today, is that the key to achieving what, and becoming who God wants us to be is not necessary to carry on on our current course or trajectory. Now is the time to make adjustments so that we will actually fulfill the high calling that God has for us. And the great news is, is that you may think right now, you know, I'm, I'm only young and already I feel like my life is, is veering off course from God's plan. Well, praise God, because of grace, you can be forgiven and set free and you can set your course in a different way. Amen. Or you may be here or watching and you think, well, you know, I am getting towards my latter years. Is it too late? It's never too late to have a fresh start with God. It's never too late to make choices that will change the course and the direction. And here's the deal. This is why I feel so passionate. It's not just for your good. It's for the good of many other people. God wants us to fulfill our destiny to make a difference in many people's lives. Come on, church. We need to rise up and become all that God has for us in Jesus Christ. And so I'd like to pray right now and maybe just like to invite you to stand wherever you're at. And um, if you're watching at home, you can stand to whatever age or stage of life we're in, it's not too late to make the choice, firstly, to build our lives on the rock of Jesus Christ. To, as it were, strengthen the foundations in our life by saying, I don't just want to be a nominal Christian. I want to be a practicing follower of Jesus. And that alone is a challenging statement. But the great news is, because of the blood of Jesus and the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can be forgiven for our shortcomings we can be healed we can be set free and God can come into our lives and he can change things so that following him is not just a yes it's a choice 
Yes, it requires effort, but we're going with the grain of how God's made us because we get born again. The Holy Spirit comes into our life and he enables us to live a life of faith that's increasingly honoring to him. So I want to just invite you, wherever you are, just to put your hands out right now. For some of you, this may be your first time in church. Maybe you've been on the fringe. Maybe you've been checking things out. Maybe you're watching today and you're still not made a commitment to follow Jesus. But you know that the foundations of your life are anything but secure. Well, I want to tell you, this is a wonderful opportunity for you, as it were, to storm-proof your life by putting your life in the hands of Jesus Christ. So right now, wherever you're at, if you don't know the Lord, or if you've actually been somebody who has gone off track, yeah, you say I'm a follower of Jesus, but I know I've not been building my life on His Word. And I want to get back, as it were, on track. I want to recommit my life to the Lord. Why don't we just pray right now? And maybe for all of us, we can say, Lord, I want to dedicate my life to you and your word by the power of the Spirit. So Father, I want to thank you for all of us here today. I believe, Lord, this is a holy moment where decisions are being made. Where we can, as it were, set or reset the course of our life in line with your best plan for our lives. Just all, just stay in this atmosphere of surrender and just keep your eyes closed. If you particularly say today, either for the first time or as a recommitment, just between you, the Lord, and me, you just say, I want to acknowledge today that I've gone off track or I want to put my life in Jesus' hands, either for the first time or recommitment. Just put up your hands and I'd like to pray for you. Thank you. Just keep your hands up nice and high. Yeah, bless you. Thank you. Yeah, number of hands. Father, I want to thank you right now. Lord, these hands are going as as much for your benefit. This is a a marker and a reminder. You're saying by the, the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm making a choice to go God's way, to become a follower, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Why don't we just thank God for all that he's doing in our lives and the lives of people around us. What's the key to living a great life? Very simple. uh, uh, Building our life on the message of Jesus, a life of faith. But also, I'm sure we'd all agree, pretty challenging, isn't it? 70 years of service. So why don't we just now invite the Holy Spirit to come and anoint us afresh with the wisdom we need, with the power we need, with the strength we need. We're going to sing a song that's really based on Pentecost because it talks about a fresh wind being coming over our lives. It talks about a fresh anointing. Maybe you've never received the Holy Spirit. You can receive the Holy Spirit right now. You say, I'm running on empty. Well, praise God. There can be a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life. You say, I've been filled with the Spirit. I've sensed the wind of God, the breath of God. Well, I want to tell you today, there is fresh wind blowing. So let's lift up our hands. Let's lift up our voices. Let's sing with expectation. Jesus said, how much more will the Holy Spirit be given to those who ask Him? It almost like we're lifting up our hands, almost like picture of like our, our lives like sails. We're saying, Lord, come and blow again. 
over our lives. Refresh us, strengthen us, empower us. Let's sing together.